Hello from St. Croix. I taught our women's Bible study this past Saturday, but for some reason my new microphone that I purchased did not work. So I'm going to record this again here at my home. And of course there's no one here with me, <laughs> um, but I wanted to get this information available to those ladies who had requested it. So here we go. Um, I couldn't think of a better way to start the new year than to remind us that you and I, as believers in Christ Jesus, have the potential, have the potential for the impossible in him. I spent some time this last summer reading through the book of Colossians. What an amazing letter from the Apostle Paul to the believers in Colossae. You know, in there he gave so much doctrine about who we are in our position in Christ. And he talked about the ability to walk in a manner worthy of him. That's an amazing thing that he did for us, that he made it possible for us to walk in a manner worthy of the sacrifice of God. He also made it possible for us to please him in all respects. Even though we are fallible, sinful beings, God has made a way. He has made the impossible possible through Jesus Christ. I don't know if you've ever thought about um, being pleasing to him, but it is certainly a daunting prospect when you're thinking about the holy God that we serve. To walk in a way that pleases him is an amazing thing, but he makes that possible in Christ Jesus. We are already three weeks into this new year. And for those of you who have made New Year's resolutions, I just am wondering how faithful you have been to follow through on those. You know, I gave up making them a long time ago because frankly, I don't keep them. <laughs> I just kind of either, you know, miss a day and then I feel a failure. And so I just quit altogether. Um, I guess um, when you have those ideas at the beginning of the year and you're so gung-ho to get them done and then you miss a day or two and it just kind of falls by the wayside. So I don't make New Year's resolutions anymore. I try to remember that His mercies are new every morning and that I can have a fresh start every day or even in the middle of my day, because he makes that possible. The one hindrance to all that God wants us to be in our life is sin. And that's what we're going to look at today. Let's define sin. Now, I had heard that Webster's Dictionary was removing the definition of sin from its book, and so I had to Google it to see, were they really going to take sin out of the dictionary? And as I was going through my research of the different definitions and the different thoughts about sin, it was kind of shocking. You might want to Google it and see how far we have come from Noah Webster's first edition of the American dictionary of the English language, which was done of the dictionary. And as I was going through my research of the different 
definition. Hello from St. Croix. I taught our women's Bible study this past Saturday, but for some Hello from St. Croix. I taught our women's Bible study this past Saturday, but Hello from St. Croix. I taught our women's Bible study this past Saturday, but for some reason my new microphone that I purchased did not work. So I'm going to record this again here at my home. And of course, there's no one here with me. <laughs> um, but I wanted to get this information available to those ladies who had requested it. So here we go. Um, I couldn't think of a better way to start the new year than to remind us that you and I, as believers in Christ Jesus, have the potential have the potential for the impossible in him. I spent some time this last summer reading through the book of Colossians. What an amazing letter from the Apostle Paul to the believers in Colossae. You know, in there he gave so much doctrine about who we are in our position in Christ. And he talked about the ability to walk in a manner worthy of him. That's an amazing thing that he did for us, that he made it possible for us to walk in a manner worthy of the sacrifice of God. He also made it possible for us to please him in all respects. Even though we are fallible, sinful beings, God has made a way. He has made the impossible possible through Jesus Christ. I don't know if you've ever thought about um, being pleasing to him, but it is certainly a daunting prospect when you're thinking about the holy God that we serve. To walk in a way that pleases him is an amazing thing, but he makes that possible in Christ Jesus. We are already three weeks into this new year, and for those of you who have made New Year's resolutions, I just am wondering how faithful you have been to follow through on those. You know, I gave up making them a long time ago because frankly, I don't keep them. <laughs> I just kind of either, you know, miss a day and then I feel a failure and so I just quit altogether. Um, I guess um, when you have those ideas at the beginning of the year and you're so gung-ho to get them done and then you miss a day or two and it just kind of falls by the wayside. So I don't make New Year's resolutions anymore. I am try to remember that his mercies are new every morning and that I can have a fresh start every day or even in the middle of my day because he makes that possible. The one hindrance to all that God wants us to be in our life is sin. And that's what we're going to look at today. Let's define sin. Now, I had heard that Webster's Dictionary was removing the definition of sin from its book. And so I had to Google it to see, were they really going to take sin out of the dictionary? And as I was going through my research of the different definitions and the different thoughts about sin, it was kind of shocking. You might want to Google it and see how far we have come from 
Noah Webster's first edition of the American Dictionary of the English Language, which was done back in uh, 1828 by Noah Webster. How far we've come to now what they talk about sin being is a, such a drastic difference. Noah Webster had a whole page in his dictionary about sin. And in that, he also listed Bible references that talked about sin. And I was blown away that all of those references have been taken out now and all of the dialogue about what sin is has been shortened down to a couple of little sentences that really do not hit what God says sin is. In fact, the Greeks, when they were describing sin in the New Testament, their term for it is actually an archery term. And so you have an archer who has a bow and arrow and you know the target at the end where he's shooting has the bullseye on it. And when he would pull back his bow and shoot that arrow into the air to hit that target, they had someone at the other end of the target that would yell out whether he made it or not. If he did not make the bullseye, the person at the other end would yell out, sin. It meant missing the mark missing the mark. And so when we talk about sin, as God talks about it, we are missing the mark of the perfection of God. All of us do it. All of us have sinned. So the, the definition was an archery term that what meant to miss the mark. Now, I don't think I have to convince any of us that sin is a reality. In this day of relativism, though, so many people do not see sin as sin any longer. Um, moral compass has definitely gone the wrong direction where now truth is whatever you want it to be. And so a sin for you may not be a sin for me. And in fact, people relish in their sin. They do not blush at their sin as the Bible talks about. And they continue on in their sin, not calling it sin. They don't think about missing the mark of righteousness of God. In 1 Corinthians 5.22, we see that as in Adam, all died. You know, originally, we know that when God created Adam, he created him with three parts. He created him body, soul, and spirit. And the body was to hold the soul and the spirit and to do whatever the, body, the soul and the spirit told it to do. And the soul is our personality. That's who we are. It's, it's our emotions, our intellect, and our conscience. That directed our body. But then above that, God created him in such a way in his image that his spirit, which was in tandem with the spirit of God, would go over the soul and help the soul to discern what was he was supposed to do. And then the body would react to what the spirit and the soul were telling it to do. But when Adam ate of that fruit, 
that God had forbade them to eat. He died spiritually. The phrase there was mat temut, and it meant dying you shall die. When they died spiritually, they still lived on physically for a time. But in dying physically, they died spiritually at that moment. The word tells us from that moment on that each one of us have been born spiritually dead. For as in Adam, all die. Adam's sinful nature has been passed down or imputed to each one of us. It's in our DNA. We are born spiritually dead, spiritually separated from God. Romans 5 also describes this death that came by one man's sin. And now this nature we were physically birthed with is called the old sin nature. It's the old self or the old man. And this sin nature runs us in circles trying to please itself. And the sin nature has become our master. Romans 3.23 says, For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And the sin nature that's in every person has been passed down through the seed of the male. And that is why our Lord Jesus had to be born not of a man, but born of the Spirit. Because otherwise, he would have been born spiritually dead. And he would have also had that sin nature within him. So just as Adam was originally body, soul, and spirit, Jesus came in that form to do and accomplish what Adam could not do. He became our remedy for sin. So let's look at this sin's remedy. Romans 6.23 says, The wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus. There is a place, excuse me, a price for the sin that separated us spiritually from God. The price, it says, was death. And it would require someone with no sin nature in order to save us from ours. Jesus comes on the scene just to do that. And his death and resurrection paid our debt, setting us free from our old nature making us a new creature as we accepted him as our savior with a new nature. And we must die to self in order to live for him. Romans 6, 5 through 7 describes this death. For if we have become united with him, with Jesus in the likeness of his death, certainly we shall also be like the likeness of his resurrection, knowing this, that our old self was crucified with him in order that our body of sin might be done away with, so that we would no longer be slaves to sin, for he who has died is freed from sin. If you have accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you have been freed from that sin nature. Positionally in Christ, the old self has been crucified, is no longer having power over us. Instead, we now have power over that sin nature. We have the power of the Holy Spirit within us to say no to sin. And for those of us in Christ, that old nature has been defeated once and for all. We have the gift of 1 John 1 9 also, which reminds us that when we sin, 
All we have to do is confess it as sin to the Father. The term means to name it, to agree with God that it is sin. And then the miraculous happens as his glorious grace steps in and forgives us from all unrighteousness. Our remedy is as simple as turning to God. And he does all the work necessary for us to be born again, freeing us from that old nature. There is a new nature versus the sin nature that we are going to talk about now. When we're given this truth in 2 Corinthians 5.17, therefore, is if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creature. The old things passed away. Behold, new things have come. Have you ever wondered then, if he's made us new, why do we keep doing the same things we've been doing? And why do our mouths keep saying things it shouldn't say? Or why do our minds go where there's darkness instead of light? Why does our behavior not reflect the nature of Christ that is within us? The Apostle Paul had the same questions. We can be just as frustrated as he is with the fact that even though we are made new, we still do what the old nature trained us to do. He kept doing the same old sinful behaviors as well. We find this in Romans chapter 7, verses 19 through 24. For the good that I want, I do not do, but I perform the very evil that I do not want. He's saying, I don't want to do what I'm doing, but this I keep performing these, keep doing these worthless things. They don't fit under the righteousness of God, but I keep doing them. But if I'm doing the very thing I don't want to do, I'm no longer the one doing it, but the sin which dwells in me. I find then the principle that evil is present in me, the one who wants to do good. For I joyfully concur with the law of God in my inner man, but I see a different law in the members of my body, waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin, which is in my members. Verse 24 goes on, Wretched man that I am, who will set me free from the body of this death? Paul understood the gravity and the struggle of having a sinful nature within him. As one who knew the character of Christ and his call on his life, he wanted to do the right thing. He was the chief of sinners, as he called himself. But he wanted to follow the Spirit's leading. That sinful nature sure makes those old habits die hard, doesn't it? We have been trained and manipulated, manipulated by the old man, the old self, all of our life. Then the Spirit arrives in our life, making us a new creature. And truthfully, like a newborn babe, we don't know how to do the things in this new spirit we've been birthed with. There's so much to learn. How to walk in a manner worthy. What spiritual food do we eat? Like a newborn babe, we don't know how to do things in this new spirit. We often experience things in life and then we just sit down on the floor and throw a tantrum because we don't like it. <laughs> but God has made us new. He has given us his spirit within us 
to live a new life. And as babes, we need to long for the pure milk of the word so that by it we will grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior. Eventually, we will learn to eat meat and we will earn, learn to be sustained on God's word. The problem is we're not always attentive to the Holy Spirit. We're not always in the word of God. And often, as James talks about, we just follow after our own lusts. Wretched woman that I am, who can set me free? Paul knew the answer to that, and then we read the one, these wonderful words in verse 25 of Romans 7. Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Jesus, ladies, is our remedy. Turn in your Bible, if you have it there present with you, to Colossians 3. And I want to get to verse 9, but you know the whole thing here is too good. So I'm going to back up to verse 1 and I'll read the whole thing. Therefore, if you've been raised up with Christ, keep seeking the things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on the things above, not on the things that are on earth. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, is revealed, then you also will be revealed with him in glory. Therefore, consider the members of your earthly body as dead to immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and greed, which amounts to idolatry because they all please us. For it is because of these things that the wrath of God will come upon the sons of disobedience. And in them you also once walked when you were living in them. But now you also put them all aside, anger, wrath, malice, slander, and abusive speech from your mouth. Do not lie to one another since you laid aside the old self with its evil practices and have put on the new self who is being renewed to a true knowledge according to the image of the one who created him. It's a renewal in which there is no distinction between Greek and Jew, circumcised, uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, and free man. But Christ is all and in all. Back to verse 9. You know, as we've read the first verses here, 1 through 9, we've seen that it doesn't matter who you are or what your past is like. He has made you new and clothed you in the righteousness of Christ. The language reveals so much more than the translation, but as believers, since we are in Christ, we have this new self put on us. When it says that since you have laid aside the old self, we are acted upon to put on that new self. God put that on us. And now we participate in laying aside all of those parts of that old self that get us into so much trouble. Our job is to keep seeking the things above, not the things of this world. And I don't know about you, but focusing on this world can just drive me crazy. <laughs> it seems a hopeless and a helpless situation when I see the corruption, the evil that is in this world. But when I look up, it is a whole different perspective. It's a whole new view. So all things become possible when I'm looking up. 
The Apostle Paul goes on to say, while we are acted upon to put on the new self, we are to participate with God in the action of putting off those things, anger, wrath, malice, slander, abusive speech. Paul is good at giving lists for us to accomplish, practical ways that we can implement walking by the Spirit. That's ultimately the goal. But look again at verse 9 with me. Do not lie to one another since you laid aside the old self with its evil practices. Did you know that you can lie without even speaking a word? You can. Actions speak a lot louder than words. If we are still living under the control of our old self, our old sinful nature, we are lying to the world around us because God put that aside and he put on us a new self that is the nature of Christ. He put within us the Holy Spirit to help us live out all of the righteousness that he has called us to. We have been born again with a new nature, one that is from God, one that is walked out by the Spirit, and it's not of the flesh. It is to please God and not self. He did that for us, but we have to participate in putting off those things. His grace made it possible for us to do the impossible. He provides his righteousness that we might live righteously. The problem isn't what he has given us at salvation. We know that he has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenlies according to Ephesians chapter 1. No, the problem comes when we live as if that's not the truth. Catch that. The problem comes when we live as if that is not the truth. When we don't see a change in life that transforms us, in our walk, in our behavior, in our speech, in our actions, to match what God has done on the inside of us, then we need to look to see who is it that we're allowing to lead our life. If it's not Christ living within us and his spirit leading us, we are living a lie. And that old self that has been put to death, we've put it back in charge again. Why would we do that? We have been given the nature of Christ through the spirit living within us. The Greek word katagadsatai means that which is on the inside is working its way to the outside. So when we are living anything other than the character of Christ, when we are producing anything other than the fruit of the Spirit, we are making ourselves out to be liars. No wonder the world calls us hypocrites, because we are. We don't live out what we have been given. We are living a lie to those around us. Let's take a look at the old sin nature so that we can better understand how it's still functioning in someone who's been made new, made, excuse me, been made new. <coughs> excuse me. An important fact to remember is the difference between our position in Christ 
and our experience here on earth. Because while we are in Christ made positionally righteous and holy, set apart to God, we still live in the flesh, which has been trained, as I said before, since the day we were born to walk in that life that is not from God. Much like Paul, we want to do the right thing, but we live a completely different way. One important fact to, to remember then is that the fact that this position that we have in Christ and the life we are still experiencing in the flesh is different. The whole purpose of God after we become a believer for not taking us home with him right away is that we would learn to control the flesh through his spirit working in our life through his word transforming our mind to live out and make others see the nature of Christ within us. The diagram that we have described previously in Titus 2.14 says we are a people of his own possession uh, or in the King James a peculiar people. That happened at the moment that we were placed into Christ. That diagram is the sphere with the dot in it. And we saw that Jesus Christ is the sphere that God developed for us to be put into so that we could have a relationship with him. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. And it's those who come to him that are placed in him that belong to him. We have become a people of his own possession. And it is that position that is sealed by the Holy Spirit that we have been given all those spiritual blessings of, a, of the heavenlies. We have been redeemed. We have been justified. We have been forgiven. We have been made holy. Uh, we have that righteousness of Christ instead of our own righteousness, which as Isaiah describes, are just nothing but filthy rags. That sphere described that is seamless. There is no opening. Once you are in Christ, you are sealed there by the Holy Spirit and left there. You are, it's an eternal position in Christ. Um, but then there was another sphere that they described in the Word of God. And that sphere is actually diagrammed with a, a sphere with a line coming in and out of it so that we are able to come in fellowship, being controlled by the Holy Spirit, or we can be out of fellowship, doing whatever our sinful nature wants us to do, being carnal. And so there's a clear distinction made between walking by the Spirit, being within that sphere of fellowship, or walking carnally in our sin, and being outside the sphere of fellowship. We are either controlled by Him, according to Ephesians 5.18, or we're not. Positionally, God sees us in Jesus Christ since we are in him. And positionally, we have been made right with God. But our experience, as the Apostle Paul pointed out, is much different. We are either walking in fellowship with the Spirit or we are walking according to the old self or our flesh. That old self that gets us into so much trouble <laughs> 
and it's important to know how it functions if we're ever going to master over it rather than it master us. The following information I gleaned from a study by Dr. Troy Welch, pastor teacher in Idaho, California, or Idaho, <laughs> Idaho, no longer in California. He was in California, but no longer. He's in Idaho. Um, and also Dr. Todd Bounds, who is a pastor teacher in Washington State. Now, I happen to know these men and trust them impeccably because one happens to be my father and one happens to be my son. So I am blessed to have people who know the biblical languages on both ends of my spectrum with my dad and now my son. And um, so this study on the old sin nature comes from uh, some of their studies that they have done in the language and uh, so that's where I'm, I'm going to come from with this information. You should have the resource available online as well. I've given a diagram to follow along online, and you're going to be a combination of what we're going to be talking about. Although it's important that you know where you fall um, so that you can stop falling. Uh, we're going to take a look at that diagram and we're going to pinpoint, hopefully, some of the areas, some of the triggers, some of the bait that is thrown in our path so that we can start mastering over that old nature. So at the top of the diagram there, there is the area of strength. By the way, an area of strength is not a good thing. <laughs> I hate to tell you. Because it is from this area of strength that human good is produced. And nothing produced from our area of strength in the old nature is acceptable to God. Isaiah 64, 6, as I said, talks about our righteousness being as filthy rags. So we all have an area of strength and we all produce some human good. It is the very thing that prohibits us from having ongoing fellowship with God, though, because we do things under our own power. Paul tells us in Romans 10 that the problem that the Jews were was that their attempt was to stand on their own righteousness and not become dependent upon the righteousness of God that he had provided through personal faith in Jesus Christ. And in 1 Corinthians 3, 12 through 16, we find out what happens to those works that man thinks is good, but isn't the inherently good works that God prepared for us to do in the book of Ephesians chapter 2, verses 10. Those works in Ephesians 2, 10, that God prepared for us to do, to walk in, those are inherently good because God designed them for us. But when we try to walk under our own power and our own strength and we do human good, then we see what 1 Corinthians 3, 12 through 16 says will happen to those works. It talks about our human works being burned up on the day of judgment. Only those things that God prepared for us will remain when they are judged by God's standard of good works. So it's kind of important to stay in fellowship with the Spirit so that we are only doing the works that God designed for us to do. The verses end there in uh, 1 Corinthians 3, 16, saying, do, not, do you not know that you are the temple of God and that the Spirit of God dwells in you? He's given us his Holy Spirit to help us 
walk in those works that he designed for us. And he is our paraclete, as it's described in the Greek, one that comes alongside to help. So it's imperative if we're going to know how to walk in a manner pleasing and worthy of God, that we need to stay under the control of his spirit in order to function as he wants us to in the righteousness that he designed for us to walk in. The old nature you'll see on the diagram also has an area of weakness. Now, Hebrews 12.1 establishes the fact that we each have a sin that especially we're vulnerable to. And what is vulnerable for me may not be vulnerable for you. It says in verse 12, or chapter 12, verse 1, let us lay aside every encumbrance and the sin which so easily entangles us and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. We don't have the same races, ladies. We each have our own race to run. And we each have our own areas that we fall to almost on the daily. We have this race that we need to run, but it is full of obstacles that Satan and his minions throw in our direction. And while each of those are different for each one of us, we need to learn what those are so that we can stop responding to them and instead shut them down. Where one person falls easily into temptation may not even be a, a problem for somebody else. But those triggers and those buttons, Satan and his minions know where they are for each one of us. Because frankly, we're not all that sophisticated and we're not all that complicated. <laughs> he knows what will trip us up. Then we also have a trend in our old sin nature, meaning we will either trend toward asceticism, which is more working out of the area of human good strength, human strength, human good, um, or toward lasciviousness or lawlessness or immorality. And we might be a people pleaser or we could be rebellious. Sometimes we're a little of both, aren't we? But if your area of strength is dominant, then your trend will be towards asceticism. You will want to please people. You will want to do what is right. You will want justice <laughs> because there is a right way to do things and not a right way to do things. And so you will want things according to a specific pattern or lifestyle that brings justice and does things the right way. You are a do-gooder. Then there is that lascivious side where um, you don't care what other people think or say or do. You're going to do what you want to say and do. And so you'll either fall more towards that type of personality or more towards the do-gooder type of personality. You'll either be an ascetic or lascivious. If your weakness of area or your area of weakness is dominant, then you will trend more toward the lascivious or immoral, immoral side. And you will, you will tend to be the one that's committing more overt sin. The do-gooders, we're pretty good at hiding our sin, aren't we? We do it in such a sweet way. <laughs> okay, I've given away where my trend is, but 
That is not to say that I haven't been lawless a time or two. Just ask my parents. <laughs> Um, so now looking at those two, lascivious or ascetic, where do you think you fall in line with that? What, what is more predominant in your life? And although the degree may vary, remember the, that we're all a combination of these things. Uh, when we're out of fellowship, it's a little more easy for us to fall under the lascivious side, the do it my way kind of side, rather than the do-good side, which still wants it their way, by the way. <laughs> we still want things done our way. We just do it in a different, sweeter, kinder, gentler way. The old sin nature also on the left side of that diagram, you'll see has a lust pattern. Our lust pattern is the motivator of the soul. And it may be directed toward legitimate, the do-good side, or illegitimate, the lascivious side, pursuits. Depending on the, our trend, we will probably have a lust pattern that follows one way or the other. Now, this pattern of lust comes out of 1 John 2.16, which reads, For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the boastful pride of life is not from the Father is from the world. Did you get that? Our fleshly desires and lusts are not from the Father. He did not put in us things that will cause us to walk in unrighteousness. That comes from our own lust, our own flesh. This body that's no longer controlled by the spirit, leading the soul, leading the body. So when people come to you with this sinful lifestyle and they say, but God made me this way. No, he did not. He did not make you that way. Your flesh wanted that thing and you went after it with your flesh, not because he designed you that way. Now, obviously, being born spiritually dead with a sin nature, we all have different sin natures. We are all, as I've said, tempted by different things. But it is still within our right as a follower of Christ to say no to that sin. There is never a battle with sin that we need to succumb to. We have the power by the Holy Spirit within us to say no. We are not going to live that lifestyle. We are not going to fall to that sin. We're going to instead walk minute by minute under the control of the Holy Spirit. That can be difficult. That can be hard until you surrender. But once you surrender, ladies, it is the easiest thing to avoid sin when you're walking by the Spirit. I just know for myself, like the Apostle Paul, I don't always submit. I don't always follow the Spirit, but that is the goal, isn't it? We have to become more like Christ, and in order to do that, we have to live as He lived, only doing what the Father said to do and only what the Spirit led Him to do. That is where it, we are transformed and renewed, and that happens as we're in His Word and led by the Spirit. All sin 
will fall under one of those categories, the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, and the boastful pride of life. Let's take a look at those. The lust of the eyes, this falls under um, materialism. We need, spelled W-A-N-T, need, <laughs> everything that we see, that we want. We want the best of everything. We want the most of everything. We see it, we want it. We amass items, even hoarding, ladies. It doesn't have to necessarily be good things. It could just be we're holding on to things. We want everything because we think it's going to bring us joy. So we amass more and more. The lust of the eyes can also fall or rep represent itself through envy because we want what someone else has. Coveting because we want what they have. Jealousy because we want what they have. All of those other things can fall under the lust of the eyes. The lust of the flesh is the next one. This is sensuality. Now, before you go thinking that sensuality only refers to sexual things, it's not. Sensuality is pleasing our senses. We have five senses. All of those senses get enjoyment in some form or fashion. We have the, how it smells. You know, we had a campfire last night. My hair smells like a campfire right now. That's not very pleasing to my sinuses. <laughs> That's not what, how I want to smell. I, uh, we also have the, the sense of how it looks, what we see. We have how it tastes, how it sounds. All of those can be dominated by the lust of the flesh because we want to please our senses. We want it to look good. We want others to see that it looks good. We want others to see and smell and feel and all of those things that apply to sensuality. If that is your lust pattern, if all those things matter more to you and you think you're going to get joy out of, of how it feels, how it looks, how it tastes, how it smells, then you probably have lust of the flesh as your sin pattern. And then there is the boastful pride of life. Pride. It is insidious in every aspect of our life because... It's all about me. All about me. Our old nature wants to make everything about me. And we want everyone else to know just how special we are, don't we? These lust patterns, the lust of the eyes, materialism, sensuality, ego, those three things all other sins will fall under them. And if we can narrow down which one applies to us, we may be able to help stop those triggers and the bait that so easily lures us in. So, thinking about your life, when you're out of fellowship with God, do you see one 
or more dominant area in your life. Now, remember I said we'll all be a combination of these. And sometimes this mixed bag gets a little confusing because sensuality, you can be very concerned about how it looks. So you may spend a lot of time in the mirror or you may spend a lot of time trying to make things look just right. A lot of money maybe on making things look just right. And people might associate that with ego or pride, but it really is your sensuality that is the motive behind your sin. And that's what we're trying to locate. So what is the motive? What's motivating you in your life? The importance of seeing how the old nature is still running you in circles is so that you will know what the triggers are and what the bait is that so easily entangles you. James 1 says, uh, talks about when we're being carried away, it's by our own lusts. If we don't understand how our sin nature responds to our lusts, we will never be able to effectively deal with the sin at the point of temptation. Is it a sin to be tempted? No, but it is if we respond to it and being forewarned about that sin nature within us is half the battle. One of the reasons that we are to confess our sins, like it talks about in 1 John 1, 9, is so that we recognize the patterns or the repetition of confessing the same sin over and over again. When we're naming it before God, eventually we're going to be start going, oh, I just said that same thing yesterday. I just confessed that yesterday. Or I just confessed that an hour ago. We will start to recognize certain sins within our life then we are able to stop doing those because we can start saying no to the sin. When we identify our area of weakness, which could be our area of strength, <laughs> we can shut down the domino effect of that sin in our life. Knowing these patterns, the trends, and the areas of strength and weakness will also help us in reaching out to others with the gospel. Here's how. It is often harder to lead someone to the Lord when they are an ascetic. When they are doing good in the world or think that they're doing good in the world, they will often tell you when you come to them, oh, I don't need a savior. I'm doing good. God and I are good. I do good things all the time. I help the poor. I help the widows and orphans. I I'm kind, I'm generous, I'm loving, I'm all of these other things. So God and I are good. So getting them to recognize their need for a savior is really difficult. The lascivious person or the immoral person, that one knows what they're doing is wrong. They know that they can't do what is right. They know they need a savior. So if you have an ascetic, you have to approach them differently than you would someone who is lascivious or immoral. Because one recognizes right up front their need for a savior. Doesn't mean that they'll accept him. They may still reject him. But at least they're aware that they're a sinner, where an ascetic may not be because they do good things. So as you're looking at this 
trend and the patterns and all of those things in your own life, recognize that there are those in your world around you that fall into one of those categories as well. And knowing which one they are can help you in helping them to see their need for a savior. The only hope for any of us is faith in Christ Jesus. Whether ascetic or lawless, we all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. But thanks be to God, the free gift from him is eternal life in Christ Jesus. As Paul pointed out earlier, wretched though we are, thanks be to God through Christ Jesus our Lord. For we are no longer slaves to our sin nature. We have been set free. So walking by this new nature, what does that look like? As we read earlier in Romans 6, 6-7, through 7, knowing this, that our old self was crucified with him in order that our body of sin might be done away with so that we would no longer be slaves to sin. For he who has died is freed from sin. So now what? Well, freedom can be scary. <laughs> when everything is new to us and we're not sure how to choose the right thing, it can be definitely scary, but it can also be so rewarding when we choose to do the right thing and live under the control of the Holy Spirit. By his word, we know that there are tools for us to utilize. This is where the potential for the impossible happens. You see, on our own, no matter how often we resolve to be different, to do different, we still deal with the old sin nature on the daily basis. But did you know that we have the potential to walk by the Spirit who does not ever sin? We have the potential gifted to us by God. And Jesus is that example because remember, he only did what the Father said to do and he only did where went where the Spirit, Spirit led him. So there is potential in the impossible when Jesus is involved. Second Peter 1, 2-4 reads, Grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord, seeing that his divine power has granted to us everything pertaining to life and godliness through the true knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and excellence. For by these, by his own glory and excellence, by these he has granted to us his precious and magnificent promises so that by them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world by lust. We were given his divine nature when we were placed into Christ. As simultaneously the spirit birthed a human spirit within us that could relate to God's spirit. It was our sin nature that separated us from God, but in Christ we've been given that new nature and the potential for the impossible is there. And yet our sin nature wins so much of the time. We abuse our freedom in Christ. We abuse the grace of God. Galatians 5.1 reads, It was for freedom that Christ has set us free. Therefore, keep standing firm and do not be subject again to the yoke of slavery. It says we are not to put ourselves in the position to willingly 
be tempted to choose sin. We're not to play with temptation, ladies. In fact, the Apostle Paul talks about putting on your running shoes and running. And that is what we're to do. Run away as fast as possible from the sin that so easily entangles us. Ephesians 6, 11 through 18 talks about putting on the armor of God so that we will be able to resist those flaming arrows of the evil one. We're to gird our loins with truth, put on the breastplate of righteousness, not our own righteousness. Just get that straight, ascetics. <laughs> we have none of our own. It's from God through Christ Jesus. Our feet are to be prepared with the gospel of peace, and then we're to take up the shield of faith and hold it out in front of us. Of course, our head is covered as well with the helmet of salvation. And then we're to take up the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. He's given us all that we need to fight this battle with Satan. Do you remember when Jesus, after not eating for 40 days, was being tempted by Satan? What, how did Jesus answer Satan's temptations? Every single time he answered with the Word of God. And we have that same capability the possibility is there, but we have to know it. I would suggest digging in deep. I would suggest learning it. I would suggest memorizing it so that in those moments when the temptation comes, we are able to just throw the word of God right back in their face and say, not today, Satan, not today. We need to get to know our sin nature so that we are quickly aware when it is in control instead of the spirit. You know, sometimes, especially for us ascetics, we can just go on our daily life without realizing that it's, we haven't even let the Holy Spirit take control of us today. And so we need to be aware of that nature so that we can control it. And here's a telltale sign that you're not being controlled by the Holy Spirit. If in your day you are not being loving, have peace, have patience, are gentle, are kind, are good, have self-control, um, have faithfulness. If you are not presenting those body through your body in the acts that you're doing, in the way you're reacting to other people, the way you're reacting to the situations in your life, then you are the one in control, not the Holy Spirit. And again, remember our remedy is 1 John 1, 9, Confess it, get back in fellowship, because we don't want to walk through our day quenching the spirit in our life. Confess it to God. Ask him to lead you once again. The sin nature is a tricky one, especially if you are an ascetic. It may look like you're doing good, but check your motives, check your behavior, check your words. You have to confess every minute of every day. I know I do. And that's okay with God. He'd rather have you talking to him every minute than waste your whole day waiting for a moment at bedtime. So just pray. Note that in verse 18, it says that we are to pray in the spirit. Now, this is not some mystical, magical language kind of prayer. It simply means to pray in fellowship with the spirit. If you have unconfessed sin in your life, if you've broken fellowship with the Spirit, get back in fellowship because God's not obligated to hear your prayer when you're out of fellowship. 
It's the prayers of the righteous man that availeth much. And the only way we are righteous is if we are walking in Christ by the Spirit, doing what God has called us to do. So we need to pray in the Spirit, but do so under his control. And the Holy Spirit is our direct access to the Father so that we need to be in fellowship with him under his control. And then just pray. If praying seems hard for some of you, think of it this way. The acrostic pray, look at it this way. P is for praise. Remember who God is and recite who God is. Talk to him about his character and his attributes. Praise him for who he is. R is for repent. Remember, we are to confess our sins to him, and he is faithful to forgive us everything. This will require humility, and if we're praising God for who he is, it will become very apparent to us that we are not him. <laughs> we know that we have failed him, and so we need to repent. Turn the opposite direction. Confess to him. Agree with him that, yes, it is sin what I just did. And then ask. A is for ask. Yes, he already knows all your needs. He already knows the desires of your heart. But hopefully now that you have praised him and you have repented, when you ask him for things, they will be in alignment with his will. Ask him for the needs of your friends and your family and your loved ones. All of that requires humility. Why is for yield. Yield. Submit to the Spirit's leading in your life once again. So when we pray, we are to praise. We are to repent. We are to ask because he is God and we are not. We are to yield to his Spirit to let him lead us once again. Ultimately, prayer humbles us before a mighty God. Micah 6, 8 says, He has told you, O man, what is good and what does the Lord require of you but to do justice, to love kindness, and to walk humbly with your God. He will hear your heart. He has the best foremost in his mind where you're concerned. Therefore, Romans 6, 12 through 15. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its lusts and do not go on presenting the members of your body to sin as instruments of unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness to God. For sin shall not be master over you. For you are not under the law, but under grace. What then? Shall we sin because we are not under the law, but under grace? May it never be. Let's not abuse the grace that God has given us. Walk in gratitude for that grace. Verse 17 of Romans 6 goes on to say, But thanks be to God through that though you were slaves of sin, you became obedient from the heart. That's what God is looking for. He's looking for a heart that is yielded and submitted to him. Whether you find yourself working from your own strength or your own weakness, the question remains, will you turn your heart to walk in obedience to his word 
to the leading of the Spirit today, tomorrow, and the next. Let me pray. Father God, I am so grateful for the grace that you have given us. Father, forgive us for the times that we abuse that grace and walk in our own power. Thank you for your spirit that indwells us, that allows us to have a relationship with you in Christ Jesus. And it's in his name we come asking that you would help us to walk in a manner worthy of that sacrifice. Asking for your leading to help us know what is pleasing to you and then to walk in obedience to it. I pray for each person that is listening to this, that they would walk in fellowship with your spirit in a way that they would say no to sin and walk in the new nature that you have given us. Praise you, Father God, for always doing what is best for us. And we pray this in Jesus' name. In him, we come to you, submitted and yielded once again. Amen. God bless. Have a good day.